0: Welcome to Hot Flashes and Cool Topics, the podcast for women in midlife and beyond. At Hot Flashes and Cool Topics, we talk about anything and everything to do with midlife. My name is Colleen. My name is Bridget. And today, guys, we are so excited. Unfortunately, Bridget was under the weather and she wasn't able oh. to do this interview, but we have Leslie. I'm so mad. <laughs> we have I'm Leslie so and Warren on the show, and she's just a wonderful person, a, a joy to talk to.
1: What a, what a life. What a life. Oh. Well, just rub it in that I didn't get to talk to Cinderella.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Just talking to her. It's like when we talked to Marsha Mason. Yes. talk to so many women who just had these histories in film and television and Broadway that you're like, really? You got to hang out Um, with, you know, Rodgers and Hammerstein (laughs) like as if it's not a big deal, you know? And she tells uh, the story about how she got the role of Cinderella and she... Actually, her first audition, she didn't get the role. And they fought for her to go to actually hit Rick Rogers' house and sing with him on the piano. So that is a great story, which I won't tell you too much about because she's going to tell you about that. But she talks about starting her career as a ballet dancer and her love of Broadway. And that turned into, you know, she was on really the tail end of the Disney family when they would sign you up for a contract. So she Mm. talks about that. And then... Just Victor, Victoria, and like Edwards. I mean, the story she tells. You're just like, can I just be a fly on the
1: wall for one of? Them? Oh my goodness! I mean, I, i am so you couldn't have heard me. I would have loved to have done this, but my voice was horrid. It's not great anyway, but <laughs> you couldn't have heard me. Well, so you it can't it would, control would, when you're sick. And I you know thought that you were like a frog or something. So. Yeah, no, I couldn't do it, and and. I, you know, she was also in um, a Marine 5 video. Do you remember that video? Yes, she does. Oh, that, yes. she done not talk about that video. I, was I remember. She a Rolling Stones video, too. Oh, which one was that one? I don't
0: know. Um, she played the mother on, um, oh gosh, I'm forgetting. Hold on one second.
1: Oh, okay. Oh, she was in, she was in Secretary, the 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 uh, movie Secretary. She played Maggie Gyllenhaal's mother. And, didn't know, Miss Scarlet and Clue. Oh, yeah, yeah. Carol yeah. Just, Burnett <laughs> show. I mean,
0: just amazing. Uh, amazing. She was, yes. she was the youngest actress or actor to be accepted into the actor's studio with Lee Strong. Wow. So, I wow. mean, this woman has some stories. And she always says, people go, why aren't you writing a m- memoir? And she would be happy to talk about her career for everything. But her personal life is her personal life. and she, And I respect mm-hmm. that for her. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but what a multi-talented, amazing woman. So we are going to get started with the conversation. Enjoy it. Bridget, enjoy listening to this episode. I will.
1: (laughs) I will.
0: Here we go. Welcome back to Hot Flashes and Cool Topics. Guys, today I have an amazing guest on, and Bridget is going to be very sad that she's missing this, Miss Leslie Ann Warren, who is an actress, a singer, a dancer, and now a producer. So welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. Well, we are thrilled to talk to you about all things midlife and your career. And I wanted to start with the most recent. So you have just finished a movie called Lady, which you are producing. How did that come about?
2: Well, pre-COVID, um, an actress named uh, Devon Seidel, whose story it is, um, contacted me to act in it. And I read the script and we had lots of talks about Um, the structure of the script and then casting ideas. And at a certain point I turned to my manager and I said, I should be producing this along. There's another producer on the film, but I was more actively involved in the casting at that point and, and some of the script construct. And he said, yes, why don't you talk to Devin about it? So I did. And she was like, please, please, you know, yes. So I came on as a producer, a co-producer. I have a, a there's, as I said, there's another producer, Robin Conley, who is producing as well. And um, it's been a very challenging and fascinating experience. Um, it's a difficult story. It's a true story. And it's about, uh, um, actually, it's Devin's story. And she'll, she, she talks about it. So it's, she had her mom had the BRCA gene, and um, her, her aunt got breast cancer, passed away, and her sister has or had breast cancer, and she finds out that she has the gene, and she decides to do a double mastectomy and um, hysterectomy uh, prophylactically. And all that ensues as a result of that, how it affects her and her journey and her mother and her family in it and so it's it's i know it sounds very very serious but it's and it is but it also has um there are some magical aspects to it uh uh i don't want to give it away too much but there's um you know and it's also it, it it also has some light comedic moments um so it's uh it was, it was, I mean, we just finished it like a week ago. So we're not even into post-production yet, you know, but um, yeah, it's been an, 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 an amazing experience.
0: Have you always wanted to produce or did this just seem to come at the right time? It just came at the right time. And about three years ago,
2: my, again, my manager, Oren Siegel had um, sent me five different books to read and uh, said, if any of those appeal to you, why don't we try to get the option and maybe produce it? Well, one of them did appeal to me tremendously. It was another true story. Um, Very funny though, and um, very relevant. And um, I optioned the material and then I brought it to the book. And then I brought it to a dear friend of mine, Bobby Moresco, who is a two-time Academy award-winning writer for Crash and Million Dollar Baby. And, um, Mm -hmm he flipped for the book and so we decided to jointly produce this movie and so we are that we are hoping to produce it in November these things take as you can see three years is kind of short on the development in hell (laughs) you know
0: development hell routine. Add COVID into that and yeah yeah it's just been
2: exactly you know so so we're hoping to shoot in November, and we have a wonderful
0: cast that we're beginning to assemble. And when is Lady going to be coming out? Do they have a time?
2: Oh assembly? no, we like I said, we finished it last week. We have to go into post. We have to edit it, you know, and um, put it together, and and then because because it's a real indie, it'll start start the um, festival circuit, you know, and uh, hopefully get picked up for distribution. That's how it works in the independent film market.
0: Okay. Well, I'm excited. It's a
2: while. I mean, in answer to your question, it's a while.
0: But I do think it's very relevant because there are so many women, now that the BRCA gene is out there being tested, so many women who have relatives are saying, should I get the test? What's going to happen? But yet in every family, there's humor in every experience. There's good, there's bad. So. Yeah, yeah.
2: I mean, exactly. And with uh, that's my cat. <laughs> <One
0: of them. laughs>
2: Mine, I have the door closed. So. <laughs> You're smart. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's incredibly important subject and very relevant and um you know hopefully it will it will uh give courage to people that are facing this kind of um incredibly difficult challenging uh decision
0: definitely well I look forward to seeing that when it comes out one of the things when I was doing some research on you that I have noticed is that you in this stage of life are getting selective about what you want to do. You only want to do those things that kind of lighten you up.
2: Well, I was extremely ambitious my whole life. Um, Very, very uh, driven to work and to to do work that I was proud of, which happened most of the time. Not all the time, but most of the time. And I was always what's next, what's next, what's next, and this part of my life, um, I remember going to a psychic. I don't know, like forty something years ago, maybe more. And she said to me, there'll, "There'll come a time when you're not going to feel this way. When you're going to feel like you want to, I wouldn't say slow it down, but be more, be more selective, be more careful, be more, be more cognizant of your time, and." I was like, no, that will never happen. I was so gung-ho to work, always. And that has happened. You know, it feels like my time on the planet is very precious to me. And I want to make sure that what I, what I put my energy into is um, going to not only, you know, illuminate and be, feed the audience that might get to see it, but also feed me and be a worthwhile endeavor for me good or bad but a worthwhile endeavor to to put that kind of focus and concentration and hard work into
0: well I think it's a great freedom that we earn as we get a little older that we can yeah. pick and choose what really we feel is the right path for us because yeah. when we're younger we don't always get to do that no
2: not at all I mean unless you you know hit a kind of, in my business, hit a kind of superstar, where you do have that choice. The rest, you know, the rest of the uh, community, you know, we, we, for the most part, I, I I, did get to make decisions that that were important to me, but a lot of times not. You know, a lot of times I took jobs for money. A lot of times I took jobs just because I wanted to work again. I was too, you know, imploding, not doing what I do, you know. And those those decisions are different today. They're just you know different in a, in a very serious way. You know, um, I have to I have to consider many other things. You know, at this point, I don't want to travel all that much. You know, right? Exactly. I don't want to be away from home. Don't want to be away from my kitties, You know, my husband. So
0: How do you find the actresses and actors today's lives different? I mean, we're going to get into the fact that you were a dancer and that you were Cinderella, but today it just seems like their entire lives are on display and you either hit it really big or you're fighting just to be able to get a role in. Do you see that as being very different now? Well, I mean, social media has changed
2: everything, obviously, and the internet. And you know, uh, uh, it was not like that when I was starting at all. You know, um, when I was starting, I mean, all I ever thought about was my craft, doing the best work that I could do based on the teachers that I had and the the knowledge that I had about acting and and dancing and, and singing, ultimately. You know, but it was never about being famous. It really wasn't. I mean, my, my first show, Broadway show was 110 in the shade and I won the most promising newcomer award that year on Broadway. And I would wait until a lot of the fans had left the stage door so that I could go home. I wasn't, my attention was never on the fame aspect of it. Um, Today, it seems like that is such an impossible thing to not have your focus on because of the internet and social media. You know, I mean, they request for you to now post on social media and they want to see how many followers you have and all of that. It's very, very, very different. And I'm so glad that I didn't have to go through that because I think it's an added pressure that if you're an artist type of person, you're you're not you know that's that's not what you factor in to what you wanted to do you know i came at the tail end of the studio system so i was under contract to disney i was under contract to paramount you know the contracts the the real sort of you know studio contracts there was such a, a different mindset about selling yourself so to speak I didn't have any of that when I was young and coming up and, you know, and for many, many, many years after. And I, you know, I don't have a judgment for other people, but I'm really glad that I didn't have to go through that. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think that in general, I'm a private person, you know, um, I'm not interested in writing a book about my life. You know, I'm <laughs> not, I'm not, you know, and I've had an amazing life, and amazing people that I've worked with and amazing you know, personal life as well, but I, I, that, I always wanted it to be about the
0: work, the work, the work, the work, you know. So you would never want a personal memoir, but if you could just write about your career.
2: Yeah, if I could write about my career and use fabulous pictures, I have incredible pictures with Richard Rogers and, you know, some of the real greats, uh, Mel Brooks and, you know, on and on and on. That's a different story to me because then it's about, Uh, celebrating the work, you know, the relationships
1: in
0: there. To, to kind of go back to that time when Cinderella came about, it seemed like your career was very organic. You were a dancer, you were really focused on that, but then you started kind of going to the backstages of theaters. Can you talk a little bit about that?
2: Yes, I was, I was, I was wanting to be a ballet dancer and I started ballet at six and I was very serious about it. And, and, um, you know, would stand in line to see Boryshnikov and Gelsey Kirkland and, you know, do standing them only when I was, you know, 11, 12 years old. And, and then when I was around 14, and I studied continuously, and then when I was about 14, I had, because it's, believe it or not, it's a small community in New York and Broadway and theater, and I had this friend in school, uh, her name was Leda Edmonds, and she was, in Bye Bye Berry on Broadway. So she would say, come on backstage and come and watch the show backstage. And I did a lot. And I started to get the yen. Like I could do that. I can do that. And I don't know how or why I thought I could because I've been a little ballet girl, a bunhead. But I started taking jazz at that time, jazz classes. And I started taking singing lessons when I was about 14. And um, I snuck off to an audition without telling my parents. And I made, made up a name. I, 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 there was a ballet dancer in the professional class where I went to school. Her name was um, Leslie. And um, I, no, Lisa, sorry. Her name is Lisa. And I picked Lisa for my first name. And um, uh, Robbins, because I loved Jerome Robbins for my second name. So when I went to audition with three hundred other girls, you'd give numbers just like, you know, just like course line and you're you're in a basement and they call your numbers and your name. And they kept calling Lisa Robbins and I I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you know, and finally I went, oh my God, that's me. You know, so I went up there and I and I and I auditioned and it was for Margin Gower Champion and um and I got the job. And my parents wouldn't let me take it. When they found out because, yeah, they wanted me to finish high school. And I'm glad they did. Although at the time, I was hysterical. And I thought that they had ruined my career. I thought it was the end of my career. And I was devastated. But what happened was I was at Music and Art High School. I I went there for two more years. And then I transferred to professional children's school in my last year, which is highly academic. But it also allows you to go to auditions and ballet classes, and whatever you're doing. And um, so I started to audition at that time for My Fair Lady chorus, and you know different shows, and um, and I finally auditioned for 110 the Shade during my last year of high school. And Agnes DeMille, who is a genius and changed the face of musical theater, was the choreographer, and she they had me on. David Merrick was the producer, and they had me audition over a period of six months. She wanted me to go out and learn tap, which I didn't do. She wanted me to, you know, all kinds of extra things that I had to learn. And um, after six months, I got it. And I graduated from high school and went right into rehearsal in the summer. So I was 17 because I had skipped a year in, in, in junior high. I went from seventh to ninth grade. So I'm very young, very young.
0: And you also at that time were the youngest person accepted into the actor studio as well. Was that yes. right before Cinderella or right after Cinderella?
2: No, it was probably before because I was 17 and you're supposed to be, I think at least 18. Mm-hmm. And one of the actors in my acting class had asked me if I would audition with him for his audition. And I said, you know, sure. And so we auditioned a scene from Oedipus. Poor Dad, your mom Was hung you in the closet, and feeling so sad. It was an off Broadway show. Barbara Harris starred in it, and uh, and I got in, and he didn't. Really? Was, yeah. Yeah. Is that, the end and I of that, <laughs> that ended that friendship. That ended that friendship. And then I started studying. I started with the Actors Studio, but I also went to Lee Strasberg's private classes, which were at Carnegie Hall, and and studied with him for the next 10 years yeah. in the studio. Yeah.
0: yeah. Would you mind sharing with the listeners your story about how you got Cinderella? Cause it's such a unique one.
2: <laughs> I was in 110 shade and I had a manager and she had set me up with this audition and, um, for Cinderella and hundreds of, of young women were auditioning and, I believe it was in the theater, and I was so scared. I was so intimidated. I was so, it was Richard Rodgers, and I grew up in musical theater and carousel. You know, I was just, I was so intimidated that I really gave a terrible audition. I was just too scared. And the director, Charles Dubin, had seen me in the show, Hundred and Ten of the Shade, that I was in, and he said to them, please give her another chance. She's just so young. She's so nervous. She's so, you know, so they brought me back, but this time they brought me to Richard Rogers apartment on Park Avenue with the choreographer, Eugene Loring and Johnny Green, the musical supervisor and and Charles Dubin, the director. And we were in the living room, which was huge. And uh, Richard, mr rogers asked everyone to leave and he had me come and sit down next to him on the piano bench and he played my funny valentine but but sang it you know played it and sang it exactly the way he wanted me to do it and so i just did it that way and
0: that was it that's amazing That would never happen today. (laughs) First of all, you can't go to somebody's apartment.
2: (laughs) I mean, if you all, you know, but it was so innocent and it was so lovely and it was so supportive and, you know, I felt so safe and that's why I was able to do that,
0: you know. That's such an amazing story. And then you get signed to Disney and you actually were in one of his last movies, right? Walt Disney's movies
2: yeah it was it was definitely his last movie it was it was um the first action uh uh live action musical that he did in the last movie that he did and it was with the Sherman brothers whom he always worked with and um that's when I went under contract to Walt Disney in the studio and uh it was one of the best experiences ever of my life you know it was It was, again, a time when you were so protected by the studio system, at least at Disney. And uh, he was so benevolent and, you know, had us out to dinner at his home and um, and the ranch. We shot also some of the scenes and um, the cast was, I mean, to act with Greer Garson, it was just... Playing my mother, I mean, and Ginger rod I mean, um, Ginger Rogers was in Cinderella, uh, um, Geraldine Page, who played my stepmother, and I was from the Actress Studio, and she was an icon in the Actress Studio, and, you know, Gladys Cooper and Fred McMurray, whom I just loved playing my dad. It was, it was, um, and it was such a huge production, with so much um, attention to detail, money spent, you know, it was just an incredible, incredible experience.
0: And then it seemed that they were no longer signing kind of as a family-type Disney and Paramount where you would have those contracts. It ended pretty soon after you started that, right?
2: It did. I did one more film for Disney, but he had passed away by then. And it was an anachronism in a way. It was a film that was very much of a time, but it didn't. It wasn't matching what was going on in the culture. So it sort of, you know, it, it, it was the end of that kind of musical film, which was, you know, very sad to me, but um, I understand.
0: During that time, you were so young and Mm -hmm. you got married, you had your son. What was it like working in the studios (laughs) during that time for women?
2: I was such a young girl, you know, I was such a young girl. So I was, I was feeling protected very much Mm -hmm. um, in many ways. And at the same time, there were those men who would hit on a young girl, you know, right. and um, a young, vulnerable, you know, insecure young girl, you know, in some, way, in some ways. Um, so, you know, it was an interesting combination of having men like Richard Rogers be so paternal, Charles Doovan be so paternal, um, and then being a paramount and dating Robert Evans. <laughs> you know, so it was like a little bit of bipolar behavior, you know, it was just, I mean, it was so, um, you know, it was, it was a, a unique and it was,
0: um, it was an experience,
2: right? Experience. Yeah. 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 And he had just broken up with Alan McGraw. And so it was, you know, it was wow. It was broken up with him, you know, so it was, you know, and I had broken up with my husband, you know, we you know, we were, it was three years into our marriage, I guess. Anyway. So it was, you know, it was, um, those dichotomies existed hugely. You know, I, I remember going to, uh, there are some stories I can't tell. But, but, but oh, darn.
0: I tell. Yeah, I know. But there but, goes that book very, again. Very
2: famous, very, let's just say very, very famous, famous mogul type people. Mm-hmm. I was invited to a party at their house and, uh, I came there and nobody was there but me. And I kept saying, well, where, where is everybody? You know, and he, this person said, they're coming, they're coming. You know, come sit with me in my screen. and I want to show you something. And, you know, he showed me whatever latest movie he was doing, but then he, you know, he was groping me and, you know, all this, and I was, I was panicked and, you know, got out of there. You know, I did get out of there. But that, that duality of feeling taken care of by some wonderful people. And then the absolute opposite, you know, totally existed.
0: Absolutely. It's a shame. Cause I don't think we now with the me too movement, women are somewhat more inclined to speak up, but there are so many stories like that, that aren't being oh. told from before. Oh yeah. I was afraid to
2: tell anybody. I mean, I, I, I don't think I told anyone, maybe, maybe my agent, maybe, you know, but I, I don't. I was afraid. It was so powerful, and I. The good news is I got out before it was too. Thank goodness. Invasive. Yeah, yeah. And but that happened so many times. I don't want to tell you. You know. Yeah. I mean, so many times. So many times.
0: It's I said, just. Yeah. I, I yeah. hope that it's somewhat changing, but. I think it you know, is.
2: You think? I think it is. is. Uh, yes, I do. I think too many powerful men have lost their. Jobs and their reputation, and you know, I, I do think it absolutely, you know, there are now when you walk on a set, there, are, you know, you know, signs about sexual harassment and what is okay and what isn't, and you have, you know, pe- uh, trained people on sets to navigate the love scenes and you know, you know, all of that. So I think, I mean, I, I think probably it will always exist to some degree, you know, but I think women are much more savvy. And much more capable, and have you know the 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 movement behind them when they're young that didn't exist when I was young, didn't exist when I was starting.
0: Then there's Victor Victoria, which I was surprised to hear that you did not like your performance in the very beginning. Well, <laughs> I'm just
2: I'm you know everybody that knows me says says that I'm the worst you know the, the harshest critic of myself ever. You know I was. I was shocked. I just was shocked when I first saw it. It was Blake's house, Blake Edwards house. And the whole cast was there and everybody was, you know, screaming with laughter. And I was just oh, mortified. <laughs> I was like, What have I done? What have I done? This is the end. This is the, you know, and I went to my car and I cried for you know, hours and four hours. And it wasn't until I went to a very big screening with my agent, who was Ron Meyer at the time, um, at the Schubert Theater, which no longer exists, but it was a huge, huge screen, red carpet screening, and I, and I was—everybody was, you know, laughing and applauding the number, and you know, every—and I thought, I'm wrong. <laughs> <This> <laughs> Thank goodness. Thing, you know? <laughs> yeah, but it it takes me time. Always, uh, my first inclination is like, oh, you know, <laughs> and then I just sort of work my way back into. It's very hard to see yourself. Blown up that you know in those days to you know that degree forty foot screens and forty foot screens and you know and and in ways that you don't see yourself in life and and not be shocked you
0: know. And you you obviously were getting so many accolades with nominations. Mm-hmm. Were you surprised? Were you too young to realize that you were getting all these? Or did, were you really surprised each time you got one?
2: Oh, I was definitely surprised. I was shocked. I, I knew that MGM was doing a campaign for me. Um, I saw the ads and I, you know, um, but I I had never thought, as opposed to some people who talk about this, you know, they say I always dreamed of winning the Academy Award to be nominated. I never did. I never did. Really? I never did. It was always the work, the work, the work, the work. It was I like, good? Did you like it? You know, I was very, you know, like that. And and. So that when that all happened, you know, I was ecstatic and shocked as opposed to when I, when I did, when I got the theater world nomination, I was uh, award when I was 17, I was too young to take it in. I, I was too young to take it in. You know, I now knew what this was all about. And, you know, I was 35 or something, I think, something like that, you know, and so. I was thrilled, obviously
0: thrilled. And surprised because you didn't even want to see yourself on screen the first time. Right. But by that time, I was loving
2: it. It took, you know, I don't know, six months or whatever,
0: but no, yeah. Doing films with Blake Edwards and Mel Brooks and all these, I mean... The movies you have been in, the casts have been incredible. And I don't think people even realize how amazing these casts were. What was it like on set when with these amazing people?
2: It was fantastic. I mean, first of all, Julie is an angel. Everything everybody ever says about her is true. She is a, a warm, generous, fun-loving, loves to laugh, you know, beautiful um, person. So, and I adored Blake. I adored him. And they, first of all, Blake in those days didn't believe that people could be funny after eight hours. So, our day was 10 hours. We had two hours of hair and makeup, and then we would have eight hours of shooting because he thought people got tired and they weren't as fast with their resp- responses comedically. So, um, he kept the day to eight hours. And so that was an incredible you know, gift. And every day at four in the afternoon because we shot in England, this tea trolley would come around with teas and, you know, pastries and things and whatever. It was very civilized. It was very, um, it was just, you know, working with them was, was again, it was just definitely one of the highlights of my life.
0: And what about yeah. Carol Burnett? I can't even imagine working with Carol Burnett. Was that just an incredible gift?
2: Yes, and I was so young again when I did that. I don't know exactly how old I was, but I think I was still married to, so I was probably like 21 or two or something like that. And I recently saw that clip because someone sent it to me or they posted it or something. Honestly, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe, along with my rabid desire to work and my sort of incredible need to work and to do what I do, I always had a huge package of insecurity. So it wasn't like I was, you know, confident and, you know, uh, but something in me was stronger than the insecurity that propelled me forward in every situation. And when I saw that clip, I thought, how did that little girl, how did she have all of this apparent confidence and right there with carol doing that number and you know being an equal at least in that number and you know and then the number with the boys and stuff i was because i know backstage what i was feeling and it's kind of i always say to younger actors that talk to me you know truly this was my destiny truly it was it was clearly my destiny, regardless of how scared I felt, regardless of how insecure I might've felt.
0: Nothing, nothing stopped me. And does it seem like you're almost watching a different person when you're on the screen?
2: Yes. In a way. I mean, I can recall and recollect every single moment of whatever, you know, I'm watching, but in the same vein, it seems like, you did all that, Leslie. You did it. You know, it's like I can't quite... I have to sometimes sit
0: and take it in. You know, I think it's really important. What a wonderful history to just be able to pull from whenever you just yeah. want to think about. You, you've you done a lot. You know, you've been on Broadway, and you've been in films, and you've been in TV. Is there one genre that you like or you prefer, or do you just love the work? It doesn't matter if it's a big screen or small.
2: It doesn't matter to me if it's big or small. I love film the best that's slowly leading us <laughs> you know but it, it's what I love the best my favorite thing is always to work with directors that I am excited by challenged by um that I respect and that's my I'm always saying who's the director who's the director you know I'm, that's my my raison d'etre you know that can't always be the case in television. A lot of times, you don't even get to meet the director until the day you're on the set, you know. And and they're so worried about the getting it in on time, and you know they have so many other factors that they're dealing with that it's not a director actor relationship in the way that I love it. So, I, and I would say that you know as I as I've gotten older, theater is less, um, for the most part, unless it's a limited run. I don't want to leave home for a year. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to relocate in that way, you know, and it's exhausting. You know, it's exhausting to do that every night, but if it's a limited run, then I feel excited and hopeful about doing
0: something like that again. So it's not off the table. It's just with certain no. boundaries. Yeah. Is anything person- off the table, honestly, when it comes to act, is there something you would not do again?
2: It's, it's really hard to say. I mean, I honestly, I, I feel like I wouldn't want to travel for long, long, long periods of time like I used to when I relocated to England, when I relocated to New Zealand to do a movie, When I, you know, for months and months and months. I don't think that I want to do that, but I know me and I know if it was, <laughs> something, <laughs> if it was something that was, you know, thrilling and there was an exciting casting director, you know, I would probably do it somehow. I figure it out.
0: Was Will and Grace as much fun on the set as it was to watch as someone who was just an absolute fan? Did they contact you and say, hey, do you want to come on Will and Grace? And how'd that come about? They did.
2: Max Muchnik, who's one of the creators, called me on the phone and said, and I hadn't known him before that, you know. And he said, look, I have this idea for a role and I can't tell you anything about it. And he so said, she's got a funny laugh do you want to come do it? And I was a huge fan of Rowan Grace, like so many people, everybody. Um, and I said, yes, you know, without without having any idea what the role was. All I knew was that she had a funny laugh, you know, and so I had to create that laugh and, you know, and I had the best time. I mean, it, my favorite part of that was watching Megan and, and Sean rehearse. It was
0: they so They seemed inspired. so in sync at all oh times.
2: Oh my God. They certainly appeared that way to me, you know, in rehearsal. I mean, they fed off each other. They're both common geniuses They're, you know, and watching them create from a script on the page, what they created physically and, you know, in all ways was just magic. I loved watching them and I loved doing the show. It was just a great group of people. No one's better than James Burroughs, you know, I mean, it's just, <laughs> a great, great, you know, it's just couldn't be better.
0: And I know you've mentioned that having a dance background that actually helped you with physical comedy.
2: Mm-hmm. So definitely, so. you know, all sets. You know, with Mel Brooks and Life Stinks and Victoria, Victoria. I mean, in pretty much everything that I've done that has a real strong comedic, you know, feel. Having such a such a connection to my body with my body, knowing how it works, and just having an intuitive um, sensibility about my body and how I can use it to infuse characters has really, really helped me. Yeah. And it's given me freedom. I have the kind of freedom that, you know, if you're trained and do work from the head neck up, you know, which is a lot of television, you know, you don't, you don't get to have that experience, you know, so my training as a dancer really paid off and accommodated for me.
0: How have you found the aging process in Hollywood? Do you think that there are are enough roles representing women over 50?
2: Uh, no, <laughs> you know, I, I, um, it's interesting. I mean, they between, I would say between, you know, 50 and 65 or 60 or, you know, it's really rough because you're not, you haven't transitioned yet, you know, emotionally or psychologically or v- visually into the next phase of your working life or personal life in that way. You're still, you're still struggling with all of that, you know, and at least for me and, um, and then you sort of, or I did anyway, you, 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 you either choose to work on that or you are off getting a whole lot of fillers. You know, I mean, you either choose to work on that issue or you're going to be a slave to that issue. And I wanted to work on it. You know, I wanted to find my way, you know, into another chapter and somehow embrace it. You know, is it easy? No. Is it hard? Yes. Especially when you've grown up on film, you've seen yourself at the most glorious, you know, for much of your life, you know, it's really hard and it's, Painful, and you have to, you know, you have to negotiate that, you know. Um, And as far as the roles go, you know, there are many fabulous actresses in their sixties and seventies now. You know, we've all sort of aged up together, and they're great. And there aren't that many great roles, so that's that's, you know, I don't think that they. I see a lot of foreign films. I go to a lot of foreign films that I always have and in France and in Italy and it seems that way in spain they they know how to use older women in a multi-dimensional way, whereas a lot of times in America um, the roles can be limited in in their their complexity, so you're you know you're shrew or you're an alcoholic or you're, you know, you're, there's like, there's not a, there are there are some for sure, but there's not a full bodied approach to older women. I think.
0: Do you think maybe that, yes. that they just don't know what to do with us because this is yes. kind of the first generation of women who are, you know, still very vital and active and yes. want to work. Yes. I think that's absolutely right. I think you know, it used to be you
2: hit this age and you're a mom in the kitchen, you know, or you're, you know, yeah. So I think it. it I think that's absolutely true. You know, they don't know where to put us. Exactly know, for, the, for the most part. And again, there are many wonderful roles, but there are many, many wonderful actresses. So it becomes a narrow path for a lot, a lot of us
0: when you had mentioned navigating the age do you have some suggestions because we hear a lot from our listeners that i'm i'm just i'm stuck in the past i don't know what to do now that my life is changing and i don't know yeah. how to embrace that it's a mindset would you have any suggestions for our listeners on this it's it's a lot of work you know it's a lot of emotional work and and uh,
2: in my case i'm very spiritually inclined not religious per se but You know, so, and I think it's very, very individual. You know, I think each of us have to sort of navigate that in a way that works for us. I love the past. I celebrate my past. I love watching TCM. (laughs) (laughs) I do. I love old movies. And at the same time, I'm sort of very current, I think. You know, my new mantra is when I look in the mirror and see something I don't like, it's like, whatever, whatever. You know, in other words, <laughs> you mean like the teenagers that
1: go, whatever. <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. I mean, I see, Oh, and then I go, whatever. That's what it is. You know, there are things that I can't change that I can't change. I may not like them. I may not like the fact that this is happening, that gravity takes a hold of all of us, you know, but I choose to try to accept it and, embrace the life I have, be grateful for what I have, you know, be grateful for that. And I, and I really mean that, you know, I mean, it's not just sort of platitudes. I really mean that. I make, you know, I'll make a, a mental gratitude list of what I have. And I don't want the last however many years I have to be infused with pain and suffering to the best of my ability. I want to be you know, enjoying and embracing. And, you know, when I take, sometimes I take a walk in the morning for two or three miles and, you know, I just am cognizant of I can do this. I can can still do this. And I'm, you know, I have a body that works in a lot of ways to my advantage and, you know, that my health and, you know, all of that stuff. I really, um, now I, you know, for people I know, for me, I continue to want to work as an actor. I want to, you know, just. it's, I'm going to be producing this other movie and it's been an enjoyable and exciting, you know, uh, venture, new venture. I don't, but I would I would imagine that for somebody who maybe doesn't have a clear path that, they're, that they continue to be on and want to be on, that that would be very painful and difficult, you know, to find yourself. I know the months that may go by that I don't work, that I'm not working, they're still hard in some ways to create things that give me I'm a big reader I love to read you know I'm always my favorite thing is going to the bookstore it always was the time I was little you know going to the library you know so finding things that still bring me joy and 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 <clears throat> mental stimulation you know uh physical stimulation those are the those are what I those are the things I focus on when I'm not
0: doing my day job <laughs> <laughs> focus on the fact you know you made such an important point that you can that you have a body that is moving and physical and I think a lot of times we our mind kind of shifts when we're exercising when we're younger it's all about how we look and do we fit but now it's about feeling healthy and absolutely, absolutely. It, mentally it helps physically it yeah. helps so hey, I have a trainer that I work out with twice a week and
2: the rest of the time I do cardio and stuff but we were talking the other day and I said you know What I really like about her is um, she doesn't, she's not, I don't want to leave it at the gym. I want to feel healthy and strong as long as I can. And that's my goal. (laughs) It's not to look, you know, it's not to, you know, all this stuff. It's not, I can't, you know, there's too much I can't control now. And I don't want to
0: beat my head against that wall. Yeah, that's a great place to to end and I appreciate it so much that you came on. I would love for you to come back when you're done producing and talk about your new movie that you can't talk about right now. But. Absolutely love to talk about that. We appreciate your time so much, and I thank you. And just you are just one of those women that we look to say, "Yes, look at her. She is just kicking butt and and enjoying life." And thank you for that because you're you're a great example of what should be out there in the media. Thank you,
2: appreciate that. Thank you.
1: Well, lovely to talk to you. You too. Thank (laughs) you so much. Well, Colleen, I am completely. that you got to talk to Leslie Ann Warren. She is just beautiful. I thought she was the most beautiful thing in the world when I was five years old. And I saw uh, Cinderella when they used to show it on TV once a year. Like Mm -hmm. once a year, you got to watch it. And... You know, I'm just jealous, but she seems lovely and amazing and what a great career. And I love when women like her share how their career was and share what they're doing now and they're living their best lives. She is. She's
0: producing several shows coming up. And we talked about that. That at this stage of life, she gets to pick and choose what she wants to do. What a privilege. What Mm -hmm. a privilege that she has well earned. Yeah. But that she's always finding something creative to do. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that was great. Well, I've been just amazed with our guests that we've had. Um, I can't believe that I get to talk to all of these guests that we have. And guys, get ready because end of September, season three, and you never know who we're going to have. That's right. And I mean, I, I still pinch myself. And I get bruises from it Like <laughs> about the fact that I'm having these conversations with all these talented women and uh, men, some men as well. Yes. But just, yeah, just I'm amazed by all of them. And I'm so uh, thrilled that they share their story. So make sure that you find us at Hot Flashes Cool Topics. Dot com if you have a topic that you would like covered or have a guest that you think would be great on our show uh send us an email at hot at gmail.com check us out on facebook and we have a great facebook group too to try to help each other out with different situations um, that's hot flashes cool topics we have instagram we're on twitter we have tiktok i'm still working with that but we're you know, just wait, we're just going to take over TikTok. Some, oh gosh. <laughs> it's going to take a lot of work and a lot of study and a lot of tutorials, but someday, someday I may. And we'll let I'm you know. There. We'll post yeah. the first yeah. one on yeah. Facebook or something. Yes. Yes. So thanks guys thank you for so listening. Much.